Hey everyone, this is Dave Broadbeck, um, coming to you just before the start of the winter 2017 term. Uh, the lecture you've downloaded is from, uh, or you're streaming, you could be streaming it, it could be streaming, maybe not downloading, anyway, user technicalities and don't matter that much, is from uh, Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It's, of course, needs to be called Design and Analysis 1, that uh, we changed the name. Um, so this is the lecture. There's also uh, our YouTube video. So you want to check those out. So you just have to search on YouTube for my name, um, and you'll see a playlist of Psych 3256 for this uh, coming year. Uh, thanks a lot for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, the chance of anybody actually enjoying a statistics le lecture, I just think is pretty small. So, last time we talked about this, so the idea of interpreting interactions, you have to be careful when you're interpreting main effects in the presence of interactions, because, well, like I was saying, those of you watching the video realize it's now a week and a half later. But I did just say in the video. Then, can you talk about the effect of A without mentioning B? If you can do that, which sometimes you can, uh, then it's okay. That's called an ordinal interaction. That's when the order of the main effects is preserved. But you get a disordinal interaction. That's when the main effects, the order of the main effects is not preserved. Basically, the lines cross on a graph. Um, it's almost impossible. Almost impossible. Some people say never talk about interactions, or sorry, main effects in the presence of interactions. I think those people are taking things a bit far. But uh, it's a matter of taste more than anything. If you can do it, then do it. Like if you feel comfortable doing it. Alright? Okay. So we gotta split up with like just like we did with the one-way analysis of variance. We gotta partition the degrees of freedom and the sums of squares. So remember our model, x equals mean plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon, right? That's main effect. Sorry, main effect, main effect interaction, error, and then of course, grand mean, which applies to everybody. The sum of squares total are going to be the sum of squares A plus sum of squares B plus sum of squares AB, which is a new one. It's the only new thing we got here. Plus, sum of squares error. Okay. That's our new thing, is the, is the AB, the interaction. So think of it this way, in that sum of squares for A is the same as just the treatment effect, same as sum of squares treatment, except it's just for the A effect. So it's the effect of A ignoring the effect of B. Square deviation of the column means, if you want to put it, A in columns and B in rows. So the column means from the grand mean. Sum of squares B is the Square deviations of the row means from the grand mean. Again, that's if you put B in rows. You don't have to do it that way, whatever. So, like, if you had 
just a simple like a two by two. So we got A1, whoops, A2, B1, B2, and uh, let's say we got uh, so A1, B1, six, A1, A2, sorry, A2, B1, A, A1, B2, ten, A2, B2. So, column means here are what? 8 and 22, so 10 rather. And then here it's going to be 7 and make it 11. So there's your row means and your column means. That's all that means. Okay? Assuming you did it yourself, like you did it by hand, which you wouldn't do, I'll show you later today how to do it. SPSS, and that's why, in fact, all that stuff was written on the board that someone so nicely came in to race for no apparent reason. Oh, I'm a superhero. I go around to empty classrooms and erase things that profs already put on boards for classes that are coming. There's no why that's it. It's just weird. Like, it's... It's not like... Okay, I get it when, like, for example, when I go into my office and I see, oh, look, the cleaning guy... Vacuumed. Well, that's his job. That's cool. I'm glad someone does that. Hey, look, my garden's got empty. I get it was a clean person doing that because they go, I don't know. We'll find out one day. I'm going to start putting cameras in every room. Okay. Enough of that. This is the weird one. Sum of squares A, B. These are the square deviations of cell means from what we would expect given the row and column means. Okay. Using our example that I threw up here, we would expect, what would we expect the mean to be for A1, B1, given what we know what the row mean and the column mean? Well, the row for B1 here is 7, and for A1 is 8, we would expect 7.5, wouldn't we? You see that? But it's not. So that deviation squared. Okay? So it's not, we would expect 7.5 here, but no, in fact, it's 6. So that is a square, we would square the deviation, or, well, we would, or SPSS would, the square deviation, I'm sorry, 7.5 to 6, so 1.5 squared. And then you do that for all of these. Okay. Make sense? So that's hard, right? Sum of squares error, you know what that is. Square deviations of individual scores from their cell means. Each of these individual cell means, as they're called, are made up of a bunch of scores. So we get like individual scores, so it's the, it's the sum of those individual scores from those cell means. That's, that's the same as it always is. A bad way to stop, you know, just restart the turn if I fell over and broke myself. Okay. Question so far? Not so bad, right? So if you want to get precise about this, it actually looks like that. Um, that's in the book. But actually, all that is is a math way of saying out all those things I just said. That's all that is. It's nothing to be scared of. And you're not going to have to do this by hand anyway, so don't worry. 
can if you want to. Out of your freaking mind. I wouldn't do a one-way angle with my hand. Insane. You can do it with Excel. You can do it with Google spreadsheets, for Christ's sakes. You can, you know, there are calculators online. Say ANOVA, and you just you Google, and then you do them. Like it's, there's all kinds of tools out there. So you never do this by hand. But that's sum of squares total. That's uh, A, B, or B, A, doesn't make a difference really. A, B, and there's the error. So it's going to have N minus 1 degrees of freedom, big N minus 1, because, yeah, you look at how many things you fixed. You fixed one thing, the grand mean. Now, this has A, there are A levels of A. Minus one degrees of freedom, because you fix one thing, the grand mean, you're saying, wait, they, but those are column means. They don't know that. The numbers don't know where they came from. So to calculate, so that's 8 and 10 from whatever the grand mean would be, which would be 19, 19. Right, so it's 30, what am I saying? So you just, you would, Subtract these values from the grand mean. That's where you don't know. Like I said, they don't know that they're means, and you could calculate the grand mean from those columns. You get the average of those numbers. Same thing here, except it's for B. Number of levels of B minus one. This one has a. The the, the interaction is a minus one times b minus one degrees of freedom. So in a case of a two by two, we have one degree of freedom, one degree of freedom, one degree of freedom. However, let's say we have a three by three. Now we have two, two, and four. So let's say, well, let's do that. Top it off, our mystery eraser hit it behind that. All right. So let's say we have a three by three. So we got A1, A2, I guess I could use the third one on there, but still. Let's make up interaction effects. Ooh, that sounds fun. Okay, so just give me a number to matter. Two, where do you want to put it? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. You see? I think we're playing tic-tac-toe, don't you? Two, so plus two. Uh, give me another one. Seven. Seven, where are you going to put that one? A1, B1. A1, B1. Got one back there, I can use your itching for it. What are you, you going to say? 76. 76, where are we going to put that? Uh, bottom left. Bottom left, 76. Okay, we got one more. Who wants to give me one more? Fine, I'll do one. Minus two, and I'll put it, uh, I'll put it here. Now, oh, that's done. Plus two mode, that's going to be zero. Right, because they have to sum to zero on the columns, on the rows, right? In the rows. Oh, and that's got to be negative seven. Okay. Oh, this is now fixed. So that's going to be negative seven, six, thirteen, eighty-three. 
It's got to be. Right? Oh, that fixes this one, so that's got to be positive 81, which fixes this one. 81, 74, negative 74. Oh, done. I had four degrees of freedom. I was able to move, but four of them in randomly, and the rest of them were freely, and the rest of them, they, they just fell into place. I have nine cells, right? Three by three. A minus one is two. B minus one is two. Two times two is four. Right? Okay? It's just the way the world works. That's not, and as you saw, I mean, I had you give me the numbers except for that last one. So it's not like I fixed this in any way. For my next trick, okay, degrees of freedom for error. Within each cell, you've got little n minus one observations. Or sorry, little n observations. So you have, to calculate a variance, you've got n minus one degrees of freedom. And you have a times b cells. So it's a times b times little n minus one. Okay. That's going to give us mean square for a, mean square for b, mean square interaction, mean square for error. With expected values of these things. Well, remember the expected value of the simple ANOVA, the expected value of mean square treatment is epsilon. Well, it's not really. That's a shorthand I use, but we'll just say that. Epsilon plus tau. And mean squared error is error. Uh, epsilon. So we just divide mean squared treatment by mean squared error. We get five we have an effect. That's what we did before the break, yeah? In the one-way ANOVA thing. We'll have to do the same thing for mean squared A, mean squared B, and mean squared AB. And mean squared error. So here, there goes exactly as you'd expect. Expected value of mean squared A is alpha plus epsilon. The expected value of mean squared B is beta plus epsilon. The expected value of mean squared AB is alpha beta plus epsilon. And the expected value of mean squared error is epsilon. And of course, yeah, it's actually all variances due to, but there may actually be typos in the notes that, that I fixed. So if this is right. So what we're going to do is we're going to divide mean squared A divided by mean squared error. We're going to divide mean squared B by mean squared error. And mean squared AB by mean squared error. We're going to get four, sorry, three, count three F ratios. To find that if we have a significant A effect, a significant B effect, and, a significant or, and or a significant AB interaction. We do it all at once. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Questions? Good? Excellent. Hmm. Those expected values are only true however, are only true if you're interested in those particular values of A and B and no others. You don't want to make any predictions about 
you know, your A's got one and two levels. You don't want, there's no third level you could think of that you care about. So let's say one of them is retention interval. We had that, that, that's how I opened this whole thing up. Five minutes, one hour, 24 hours. You're not interested in seven minutes. Do not draw a line graph. That's what that means. Do you really want to make that interpretation? That's annoying. You're always taught that, well, you're never taught this. Well, until this course comes along. It's called a fixed effects model. You're only interested in those effects. Those levels of A, those levels of B. And no others. And when you think about it, that's an exceedingly rare thing. It's an exceedingly rare thing. What if we randomly chose the levels out of a, some sort of hat? Perhaps a jaunty beret or a top hat. A jaunty beret. So that adds a new level of randomness into it. Hey, randomness, math, we can model that. That's not going to be a problem. It, it changes things. And that seems really weird that it changes the expected values of the mean squares, but it does. So you understand what I'm saying? We're now going to, instead, instead of saying five minutes, one hour, 24 hours, we put in all possible values of retention interval into some computer program, and it randomly shows three levels. So we got seven minutes, eight hours, 46 minutes, and 300 years. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't work. Okay, and we got a week and a half. Sounds kind of impractical, but that would be what you do. In that case, we get a random effects model and everything changes. The expected value of mean squared A is alpha plus alpha, beta plus epsilon. I'm not going to go into why. This is one of those Pope, Dave, and your Catholic moments, okay? You just take it as this is I, as I'm infallible. Take it, well, the reason this, that it changes is because we can, we can model that randomness, we can put that into the, into the math that's behind this, that you think it's out. Expected value of mean squared B is beta plus alpha, beta plus epsilon. So we're going to need to find something that has alpha, beta, and epsilon in it to isolate the beta, or the alpha. Oh, good. Mean squared AB is like that. Ah, oh, thank you. Mean squared error is exactly the same. That's nice. So what we're going to do now, if we have a random effects model, is we're going to divide mean squared A by the interaction, and mean squared B by the interaction. That's our new error term. And then we're going to divide mean squared AB by mean squared error, so that doesn't change. It just changes what you divide by in analysis of variance. So the error term is what you divide by in your analysis of variance. Huh. It's kind of neat. And in fact, the software, and I'll show you later on SPSS, is that it allows you to do that. You just say, oh, these are fixed factors or random factors, and it, it, it does it automatically. Yay. That's a good thing, actually, at least you can, you don't have to remember the expected values of mean squares. What you can do is just tell the software, divide, that, sorry, that these are random or these are fixed. The software will always assume that everything is fixed. All right. 
Well, that's fine. You might wonder, when would you actually really, truly use random effects? A lot of times, uh, industrial sort of field tests, things like that. Would you want to have, let's say you have an example I have uses like tire wear. You've got winter tires. And you've got, I don't know, five cities. You might randomly choose different cities. Right? But you want to apply to all cities. So you, you, you put all the cities you can in a hat, and you randomly choose them, and then you choose people to test your tires. Right? Okay. Doesn't usually happen in, in the kind of work we do. Except in one very special case that we will eventually get to. Where's my pointer right here? Questions so far? What about a mixed model? So A's fixed and B's random. A's fixed, B's random. A's fixed and B's random, expected value of mean squared A is alpha plus alpha beta plus epsilon. Expected value of mean squared B is beta plus epsilon. Mean squared A B is A alpha beta plus epsilon. And mean squared error is epsilon, and that's not a typo. That's actually, I know it's counterintuitive, it seems to ask backwards, it's right. Saying A's fixed, why doesn't it? go back to the way it is in the fixed, because it isn't. This is isn't, okay? Just believe me. I have no reason to lie to you. I don't gain anything if you're knowing things wrong. I know it's weird. <laughs> it's counterintuitive, but it's correct. Okay. So in that case, what we're going to divide by Changes. Again, the software would know this. So as long as you tell it which is fixed and which is random, you're fine. So, questions so far, though, this is called a mixed model. We get one fixed effect and one random effect. You okay? So in that case, we're, we're assuming with a random effects model that the levels of the random factor are randomly selected and independent of each other. That's something we're, we're, we're a weird assumption we make. It doesn't happen that often. Because at first you think this is a very stringent assumption, this fixed effects model thing, and we can't, we're always interested in other levels. Why would we... ever use a fixed effects model, well, the random effects model, the reason the math changes is because we take account of that randomness. If you didn't actually randomly choose your levels, the closest approximation is fixed effects. What we're doing is a random effects mixed sort of model, which <laughs> the thing is the math depends, if it's a random effects model, the math depends on it being, you actually having randomly chosen the levels. Okay? It really depends on that. So the question you have to ask yourself is, did I randomly choose the, the, the levels? If you randomly chose the levels, which sometimes you have, that's fine. But usually we haven't in the kind of work that we all do. Right? It comes up. And as I said, you know, Probably not today. Maybe today. We'll get to a special case, in fact, where we do use a random effect. One. 
questions so far? Again, no questions? You're good? You sure? You sure? Either a very smart group or you have no idea what I'm talking about. I choose to believe the former. Because the latter also has the implication that I'm a shitty teacher. So I'm just going to dismiss that out of so Dave. Yes, thank you. Questions, other questions. <laughs> uh, when we do the mixed model, yeah. what then do we divide oh, right. the MSA by yeah. all that stuff? So if you have A fixed and B random, which is what I think I had in the yeah. example, if I have A fixed and B random, let's look at it. Yeah, I didn't say that. So, so for A, expected value is alpha plus alpha beta plus epsilon for B. It's just beta plus epsilon. It's just what is it? It's not beta plus epsilon, and for error, it's just epsilon. Okay, there you go. What would you divide b squared a by to isolate the a? Yeah. So you would divide b squared a by b squared a b. But you would divide b squared b by b squared error. And you divide mean squared AB by mean squared error. Yeah. It's one of these cases, too, the stuff with random fixed models, is that sometimes you're going to, or sorry, there was a time, rather, that we had to, if you were doing these things by hand or the software wasn't sophisticated enough to say something was a random factor or a fixed factor, you would actually have to work out to derive the expected values of the mean squares, which is not easy. Advanced, pretty advanced stats books, graduate level stats books, tend to have in the back uh, tables of how to derive expected values of mean squares. It's an evil, horrible thing to do. Um, you don't really have to do that typically. I'm showing you this for a reason that will become apparent at some point, I hope. Uh, but typically, we don't have to worry too much about it. We just have to make sure we know we have a fixed factor or a random factor. Yeah, good question. Other questions? Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, because I skipped over that. Thank you. Okay, so what we get is an analysis variance summary table that looks a little something like this. We have source of variation, A, B, A, B, error, and total. We've got degrees of freedom, A minus 1, B minus 1, A, Minus 1 times b minus 1, and a b times a little n minus 1, and big n minus 1. And then our mean squares are just the sum of squares divided by the requisite degrees of freedom. And then our f values are those, but only if it's a fixed effects model. You can assume that you have a fixed effects model unless someone tells you otherwise. In a, in a journal article, you could assume they're using fixed effects models unless someone tells you otherwise in the paper. They will tell you that they have random effects if they really truly do have them. Okay. Because the, the fact is that these expected values of mean squares change because we put the randomly choosing the levels into the math, if we didn't really randomly choose or kind of randomly even choose the, the levels, we can't put that into the math. 
right? Phone vibrated, just want to make sure it wasn't something important. Believe me, there are many things more important than teaching. Kids homesick, or maybe. Yeah, yesterday my 15-year-old son, he's got autism, right? So sometimes he's got to be a little bit. <laughs> so he texted me yesterday just for class. Dad, I didn't put the uh, soup mix in at the right time. I said, well, first of all, who said you could make soup? Now, he uses the oven all the time. That's not a problem, because it's heat up chicken strips. You could teach a monkey to do that. That's not a problem. And he likes food enough that he would just stand there waiting. <laughs> now he's, and he makes himself bacon and stuff in the morning, so I really shouldn't have worried, but he's never done this before. So he's got the pot. And I said, please take a picture of what you're doing. Send it to me. So he took a picture and he said, he said, it's not bubbling. What do I do? And we got a FaceTime and I said, oh, just turn turn the you know, turn the stove up. And he says to me the picture. Now it's bubbling a lot. I'm thinking, oh it's gonna boil over. I said, turn it down and take it off the heat. It all worked out fine. But I'm afraid now he's decided he's gonna roast a chicken or something. So I'm just making sure that he's not doing that. Because he would. He's actually pretty okay in the kitchen. And he, they learned that stuff in school. There was that foods class. We didn't have, well, I guess we did, but it was called home ec and only girls did it. It's 1979 when I started high school. Remember that? It's like Mad Men. Actually, it wasn't all. It was 20 years later. Nonetheless! So I was just concerned that he was doing something weird. I was using one of your good knives, and I've chopped off one of my fingers. You know, something like that. All right. Questions about that? This is exactly, as before, we've just added a new line here, which is AP. As I said, always assume it's fixed effects unless someone tells you otherwise. Do you only get an F value from fixed effects model? No, you would get them. Uh, so if, if this was, in this case, let's say this was a random effects model, not a fixed effects one, we go mean squared A divided by mean squared AB. Oh, okay. So and then we just looked that up. We, the F would have. A minus 1 and A minus 1 times B minus 1 degrees of freedom for the critical value, you look that up and see if you exceed it. It's always. It's done exactly the same way. It's just that what you're dividing by changes. Yeah, as I said, your error term, as it's called. All right. Good questions. Other questions? Okay. See, the thing is, these things can get big. What if we added a third factor? C. Why not? Sure. Retention interval, A182. Uh, stimulus type, B1, B2. Species, C1, C2. He said describing his PhD. Three, uh, this is a two by two by two, so now we're looking at a three-way sort of interaction situation. It's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. This is group one, group two, group three, group four, group five, group six, group seven, group eight. Remember, G isn't a factor. G is just telling you where the groups of people are. So, or whatever, in my case, it was birds. Uh, would be, these are different subjects in different groups. With eight cells, different subjects in each cell. Okay. Questions? 
So that's not horribly complicated. It's bigger. So now what we have is we have three main effects, A, B, and C. We have three two-way interactions, A, B, A, C, and B, C. And we have a three-way interaction, A, B, C. The three-way interaction is the two-way interactions change depending upon some level of a third variable. And again, uh, I think the work that I've done with comparative psychology work that I've done, actually comparing species, literally it was all the three-way interactions because you get one pattern of data in one species and one pattern in another species. That's all it was about. Or if you want to think sex difference work, stuff like that. Right? So it's just the... Two-way interaction changes depending upon the level of some third variable. A nine-way interaction is the eight-way interactions change depending upon some level of a ninth variable. A 738-way interaction is the 737-way interactions change depending upon some level of a 738th variable. There's a pattern there. Nobody does nine-way interactions. No one does 738-way interactions. It's time to simplify if you're doing that. That's the kind of person who just writes stuff all over their wall all the time and has photos with string attaching to each thing, you know, like they're kind of nuts. <laughs> they think they're solving crimes. You ever see that on crime shows, right? Doesn't matter how many computers they have, at some point there's a big bulletin board that just has photos with, with, with thread attaching them. Because that's how, that's how crimes are solved. Most of your crimes are solved that way. The thread. It's been a while, okay? A little rust. Can't really bring the A material. Alright. Model changes, of course, because we've got to bring in this third variable. X equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha. Alpha plus beta plus gamma plus alpha beta plus alpha gamma plus alpha beta gamma plus epsilon. That's a gamma. A, B, C, A, B, A, C, B, C, A, C, A, B, C, E. all the sources of variation you can think of in the model, that's all. Nothing magical. Okay. Questions? Okay. So, this is a three-way interaction. Here's an example of a three-way interaction. Look at this. The two-way interactions change. See, there's two, there are two-way interactions here. Look, um, B2 is smaller than B1, generally. But A1, sorry, A1 is smaller than A2. Let's do it that way. But the gap is bigger at 
B2 than it is at B1. That's an interaction. We have, but we have an ordinal interaction, at least here. Over here at C2, we have a disordinal interaction. It actually flips over. The two-way interactions change depending upon the level of some third variable, in this case, C. Okay? It's a very, and you, you look at that now, you go, oh, I can see how we could have an experiment like that. That wouldn't be horribly complicated. This could be two different, like, um, A, the two levels of A could be two different kinds of memory tests, right? And B could be two retention intervals, short and long, I'm going to call it that. And C could be two different teaching styles or something. Presentation styles. So one is uh, like rote memory, and the other one is uh, I don't know something else. I'm really not very creative. Or it could be two different groups of people. This could be, uh, you know, uh, this could be a group of psychology students, and this could be a group of biology students. I don't know. Whatever. Sure. We have two different kinds of stimuli, and then we have uh, two different protection levels. Yeah, sure. Well. So you can see that that wouldn't be a ridiculous thing to try to interpret. You could look at that, especially if you've designed the experiment, you could look at that and say, oh, yeah, I get that. I understand. Okay, let's think about these kind of designs a little bit. Sum it up, and then I'm going to show you some other stuff, and we'll play with SPSS a little bit. One of the things here is we can study interactions. <laughs> That's good. Many of our theories we have in psychology have interactions in them. You think about something like, some of you guys are in my memory class, Think about implicit and explicit memory and retention intervals. So you got the retention interval short to long. You've got implicit memory, which doesn't really decay, and explicit memory, which does. Oh, look, an interaction. I mean, theories in behavioral sciences, in life sciences generally, often have interactions. Very calm. Very calm. So being able to actually isolate the interaction is an important thing. And once you've done it a few times, it's actually not that hard to interpret. Right? It really isn't. I mean, you, you, you would set up, I mean, you think about this. This idea here, that's not uncommon. That, that kind of uh, design. And no big deal. Okay, then there's a downside, obviously. You have fixed effects, random effects, or mixed effects. And that really is a good question. We typically are doing something that we kind of interpret like a mixed, like sort of like a random effects model. We say, well, I just, I just drew lines here, connecting these two things. So I'm making the assumption that all these levels in the middle that I haven't tested 
actually look like that, and really I didn't do that. But did we choose them randomly? That's the question you have to ask yourself. If you didn't choose your levels randomly, don't worry. That's what I would say. Um, these things can get very big very fast. So for example, let's say we had, let's say we had something like, Four. Now, A, B, C, D. So suddenly now we have an effective A, an effective B, an A, B interaction, effective C, effective, uh, C by A interaction, C by B interaction, a C by A by B interaction, effective D, D by A, D by, D by B, D by A by B, D by C, D by C by A, B by C by B, and A, B, C. X equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus gamma plus gamma alpha plus gamma beta plus alpha beta gamma plus delta plus delta alpha plus delta beta plus delta delta alpha beta plus delta gamma plus delta gamma alpha plus delta gamma beta plus alpha beta delta gamma plus epsilon. You have to do. It's a nightmarish hell. Now, people typically don't design experiments that look like this. Four-way interactions are hard to interpret. And if we add out another factor, now suddenly this thing gets twice as big again. Wow. Right? Twice plus one. Wow. Right? So you don't want to do that. So they can get very big, and it's tempting, it's very tempting when you're designing something to go, let's well, put another factor in, let's well, put another independent variable, a stop. I typically, for example, for honors thesis projects with me, I don't let people use more than two independent variables. Because like, I, you can't, you're going to have trouble interpreting a three-way, depending, some students find, I would never let someone have a four-way interaction because I'd say to them, how are you going to interpret that? You can't, so don't. Hold other things constant, right? Okay, questions? Now let me show you. Stop this here.
thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcasts, uh, like Podsafe Music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody, and we'll see you next time.